Welcome, you're listening to the rest of the sermon, a podcast where we dive deeper in content and conversation of last Sunday's sermon at Westside in Poplar Bluff, Missouri. For more information, you can visit our website at westsidepb.org. Welcome back. Welcome back to the rest of the sermon. To the rest of it. Hey, so check this out. Yes. This weekend, um, I did a funeral for a church member's father and telling stories and stuff. He was a huge Paul Harvey fan. Mm. So much to the point that they had a clock there that was stopped at 1130. Oh, wow. Which was Paul Harvey time. Yeah. And so I talked a little bit. I didn't know this. Paul Harvey is the longest living single radio host and single radio show for seven decades. That is 70 years Paul Uh, Harvey uh, was on the radio. Paul Harvey. Unbelievable. But the reason why I'm saying that is because Paul Harvey's radio show reached 24 million people a week, and it was famously called... The rest of the story. There it is. And that is a complete ripoff yep. as to why you are now listening to Affectionately the rest off. of the sermon. Paul Harvey Arant. How do you say his last name? Arant? Arant. September 4th, 1918 to February 28th, 2009. An American radio broadcaster for ABC News Radio. He broadcasts news and comment on, comment on mornings and middays, on weekends and at noon on Saturdays. And his famous The Rest of the Story segments. Yep. 70 years of radio history. Unbelievable. That's so crazy. What he did he did his fellow. His last interview was with Larry King on Larry King Live oh, wow. when he was like 90. So and that, he was still doing it. Was that, that he, the same year that he passed? He like 2008, no, 2009? No, I think it was a little bit before um, when he did the Larry King interview. But wow. he also broke records. He was the only radio host to use his real name. Wow. All those guys Howard were Stern like... Howard Stern isn't his real name? Well, right. <laughs> yeah, just for sure. Um, yeah. All those guys were like, you're listening to Chad. You know, I don't know. Yeah. Sorry if your name's Chad out there. <laughs> I don't know. but But yeah. Oh man, there, there's a, uh, a thrift book uh, link here. Paul Harvey's America is uh, looks like an it's like a biography or something. Maybe. I have his autobiography, his autobiography called The Rest of the Story, okay, which is good. Cool. So oh, there it is, right there. Thirteen dollars and twenty nine cents to use on thriftbooks.com. Yep. Welcome back to the rest of the sermon, not yeah. the rest of the story. Thanks, Paul Harvey, for <laughs> all of that that you have given we us. We probably owe you money. Nope. <laughs> Not at I all. I love it. So we're in part one. We're in week six of the book of Acts, and we are in Acts 4, verses 1 through 22. This is going to serve as a part two, two-part series, yep. Acts 4, 1 through 22. And next week, you'll catch us with verses 23 through 37, I think. Yep. And uh, we're talking about boldness in believers via the Holy Spirit. Yep. Or via, however you say it. There you go. In the country. Um, we want to remind you guys, if you didn't catch us last week on the rest of the sermon or Pastor Jason's announcement on Sunday morning, we have rerouted all of our emails that come in for questions for rest of the, the rest of the sermon. Uh, <clears throat> long story short, we had um, something wrong with our servers, and any question <laughs> that you were, you were sending was getting sent to some guy on the internet in South Africa who lives in his mom's basement and yep. ho-hos for a living. So, yes, who's a um, king who wants yeah. to give you $24 million. <laughs> <laughs> are ho-hos still a thing? Do, are they still make those? Yeah, for it, sure. Uh, ding-dongs and ho-hos? Absolutely. But, Apparently, a ding-dong is an atomic bomb-proof um, food. 
So yeah, there's a website. Like can't or, be irradiated. Yeah, wow. yeah, that and cockroaches and stuff. So you probably shouldn't eat it. But. Wow. So go hide in the wrapper of a ding dong. Yep. What a weird name for yep. a candy or a cake snack. Right. Anyway, so we're in Acts chapter four, verses one through twenty-two. Um, send us your questions to info at westsidepb.org. They will come to us now. Yep. And we will do our best to answer them. And any questions that you've sent in the past that we haven't answered, and you've heard me blindly say, "No one's sending in questions." Right. Send those in again, and we will definitely go back in time and answer those questions. I would also well. like to clarify. I think I've kind of announced. We've announced too, like if it's theological, but also. Like, for example, this week we're in Acts chapter 4, like Pastor Tyler said, talking about boldness, about sharing the gospel. We would also love if you sent in, like, not just a theological question, but a situational. So you're yeah. saying, hey, I'm at work. I have a coworker who's an unbeliever. They're hostile. Or, you know, just something along those lines. We yeah. would love to answer that um, and try to help you out best we can. Yeah, no, that's super great. Send those in to info at westsidepb.org. Org. So we're continuing our journey through the book of Acts, and you sort of walked us through a quick review. Can we go through these five bullet points really quickly, yeah. just sort of catch everybody up if they missed last week to kind of freshen up on the rest of the sermon where we've been on our journey through Acts? Yeah, for sure. So we we started with the number one thing, that Jesus has charged his disciples to continue the ministry that he started. Mm, continue. Yeah, the book of Acts is a sequel. Um, it is part two to Luke's gospel biography of Jesus. And so um, as Luke recorded the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus in his gospel account, he's also doing the same thing about an origin story and the history of the church. Very interesting. H.G. Wells, mm. of all people who is a historian, said that Luke should be considered one of the greatest historians of all time yeah. and in human history because just apart from the origins of Christianity, Luke also drops a ton of Roman history yeah. and the year that Caesar Augustus and this guy and that guy and Pontius Pilate and all of these the things. The work and effort it took to write. It's unbelievable, yeah. man. It is yeah. unbelievable. So we said that, and then we said that the disciples have received the promised gift of the Holy Spirit dwelling inside them. Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, big deal, spent yeah. two weeks there. God's Spirit now dwells in people. This is the fulfillment yeah. of the Old Testament prophecy. Big deal. Huge deal. Um, we said that now the church has become a movement with miracles. So we see there in Acts chapter 4, verse 4, that Luke gives us a new number, that now the church is at like 5,000 people, yeah. which by today's standards is a mega church. Yeah. It is a 100% mega church. It is a movement. They are gaining traction. As we see in Acts chapter 4, they're starting to make a societal impact yeah. politically and all of those things. So we said Acts 3 was the first recorded miracle, which was yeah. really important important because the apostles are continuing in the ministry of Jesus. That yeah. was one of the apostolic standards was that they're able to do these sort of miracles on yeah. demand Fulfilled that we learned. Too, 100%, yeah. yes. And then Acts 4 is the first recorded opposition to the church. So yeah. Luke, being a surgeon or a doctor, writes very systematically, which is wonderful to preach through either Luke's gospel or Acts, because he puts things in sections. Yeah. So starting in Acts chapter 4 and then climaxing in Acts chapter 9, 
we now see great opposition and persecution yeah. to the church. And it climaxes with this guy named Saul, yeah. which is really interesting. But we're going to see the first martyr yeah. of Stephen. And mm. so things are getting hot. The yeah. oven, it's getting hot in the kitchen now. Yeah, yeah. Well, Acts chapter 4, I'm going to read through verses 1 through 22, and then we'll kind of dive right into a little bit of the context and where we're at, and then we will launch into the rest of the sermon from there. Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 22, I'm reading from the ESV. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were preaching, the, they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Wow. And on the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had sent them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council... They conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Here we go, I love this. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Amen. Amen. Thanks be to God for his word. So already in Acts chapter 4, just like you unpacked for us there in kind of the breakdown, it's the first recorded opposition of the church. Yeah. We see Peter and John coming before the council. They're before this high priestly family, some guy named Caiaphas, which I think is a really cool name. Yeah, really good name. <laughs> Might name a kid Caiaphas one day or something. He's before They're before this council, and the council is like, there's something that's going on here. A healing has happened, and it's been done in the name of this man whom we crucified, Jesus Christ. Yeah. And yeah, you're about to say something. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, what's really interesting about the council, and I didn't talk about this Sunday, but the priests and the Sadducees, and then the names that are mentioned there, 
have nothing in common. Yeah. Those guys didn't like each other. Right. And so the Sadducees didn't believe in a resurrection. And right. then you've got the high temple priest and the Pharisees and all of this stuff. And what is interesting is the only time that they come together is they come together in the opposition right. of the church. Yeah. And so Luke, there's a reason why those names seem rigid when you read them. It's like, yeah. ah, this doesn't flow. Right. It's because he's trying to tell you something. Yeah. It's very important that these groups have come together in opposition to yeah. the church. No, that's really cool. That's a cool detail. I, that You should say stuff like that on, on Sunday. Yeah. But, run out but, of time. We also have the rest of the We should do a podcast for, yeah, for it. Yeah. That's what we should do. Let's do it right now. <laughs> so we're seeing Peter and John, and they are being basically opposed and persecuted and threatened as well in the midst of this. And this is something that you broke down for us. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus actually says, hey, the, hey guys, this is going to happen. Yep. You are going to encounter this. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 16 through 20, he says, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheeps in the midst of wolves, which isn't very fun. Right. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, don't be anxious on how you are to speak or what you are to say, for you are to say, what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Mm. That is what we see happening right here in the text in yep. Matthew chapter 4. What does it mean to be... Well, let me ask this. They're on this. They're put on the spot right here. Yeah. They're put on the spot right there in the moment. They're asked, like, by what power or what name did you do this? And then verse 8, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, he opens his mouth, what are some things that we as believers should have in our arsenal mm. that we are get when we're given an opportunity to communicate the gospel of Jesus? Because it happens again. It happens again right here in verse uh, 17. But in order that it may spread no further, we tell them, warn them, don't speak in their name. And they called them forward and said, don't speak, verse 19. But here again, Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you or not, we, you must judge. So yeah. what are some things that we as believers should have in our arsenal, like ready to go For sure. when we are given an opportunity to communicate the gospel? Yeah, number one, if I ever started a Christian clothing company, it would be called Sheep Among Wolves yeah. out of Matthew chapter 10, but that's a whole different <laughs> thing. Um, I think, number one, in the New Testament, the very famous word and phrase that we get um, in First Peter, Peter says that you should be ready to give an account. Right. And, and the word is where we get the word apologetics from, which yeah. is where you, know, you can engage intellectually and somebody says, well, there is no God because the sun or moon, and then you have studied. And so, yeah. but what's important is the verse that comes before that. And the yeah. verse that comes before that, Peter describes the way that a Christian lives. Yeah. So I think the first and most important thing for a Christian to have in their arsenal when it comes to facing opposition is an authentic life. Yeah. That actually, in the context, Peter is saying, your life lived in such a way should raise questions yeah. to non-believers and unbelievers. That's good. And then when you are asked about your faith, you should be able to give a coherent, clear answer about yeah. your faith. No, so good. I think by far the most important thing is an authentic life, which yeah. is a lot harder to do. Right. We would love to go like, well, if I just post a Bible verse a day right. on my <clears throat> social medias or this, that, and the other, which by the way, I think is great. I think you should do that. Facebook means a lot more 
positive stuff out there. But I think it's an authentic life. I think it's really believing this gospel and living it authentically. Yeah, well, that's something that the council noticed. It says there in verse 13 that they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived, here we go, they were uneducated common men, but then they were astonished and they recognized that they'd been with Jesus. 100%. It goes beyond just the message they're communicating, but the way that they're living and their demeanor and their lifestyle, which is really cool. That's it. We're going to talk about that here in a few minutes. So, what does opposition look like here in Acts chapter 4? What are the ways that Peter and John are being opposed with the message that they're communicating and this great response that the crowds are having? They're all astonished and everything. Yeah, man. Like, uh, you broke it down for us into over and covert and persecutions, the word, really, that we're, that we're kind of revolving around this week. Yeah. And so what are the two—can we break down those two— ways from maybe maybe the text, but also you got here in Matthew chapter 5, overt and covert persecution. Yeah, and so um, we <clears throat> defined persecution and said persecution is to pursue, uh, to systematically pursue or oppress or harass or harm a person or group of people based on their race, religion, or political beliefs. None of those are good words. No, and so that's the definition of persecution, and in the original languages, it's actually a hunting term. Mm. That means to pursue the game, Mm. the way that a hunter pursues the game. And so, in Matthew chapter 5, in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, it's really funny, Jesus puts this at the beginning. Yeah, It's almost like, Hey, listen, you need to know expectations up front yeah. that this lifestyle, the world is not going to love this message. They're not going to love your lifestyle. And he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. So yeah. he gives us three ands in the passage. Yeah. Two of them could be lumped together under verbal. So I believe that there is a verbal and relational persecution that happens to Christians. Example, you're at work or you're interviewing for a job and somebody knows that you're a Christian and they're not and you don't get the job because of that. Or because, you know, a relationship ends because somebody doesn't... Listen, those are harm. That's like oppression that's happening to you. So there's verbal and then there's physical, man. And and listen, there's going to be some things in the show notes today, two resources that I would place before you. The first one is this. Um, It's actually uh, called The Voice of the Martyrs, and it's a website that is fantastic, that keeps you up to date with everything that is going on in the world. A lot of people don't know this, but one of the things I said Sunday is I firmly believe because Jesus tells us this, that the closer it gets to his return, the worse it's going to get. Now, I'm not trying to be doom and gloom. What I am saying is is that the oven's going to get hotter, you know, proverbially. In the last century, there have been more people martyred and killed for their faith in the last century mm. than all other centuries combined. Wow. And we don't realize that, guys. Yeah. We we think of the persecution in the early church because it was so violent and it was so um, overt. Yeah. But that's happening. I mean, the Sudan right now is one of the worst places that you can be. Yeah. And so I would encourage you, visit the website, The Voice of the Martyrs. But yeah. also, if you want to learn about the history of these apostles, every one of these guys in the book of Acts 
dies for their faith yep. and they die horrible deaths. And there's a book called The Fox's Book of Martyrs, which is actually written by Justin Martyr. And he's an early church father who records the history of the early church. And so you get to know this extra biblical history about Peter, about John, about Paul. Peter's actually crucified upside down yeah. because he says that he doesn't even want to be worthy to be crucified like Jesus. And so there's the physical aspect and yeah. then there's the verbal and relational aspect of those things. Yeah, well, and that, that we just covered how it affects us today. In Western American evangelicalism, we have it really well. Like, I, I would love to talk for a moment on, on what we chalk up in the church. And just like a few weeks back, we talked about an, an unhealthy underemphasis of the Holy Spirit sure. or an unhealthy overemphasis of the Holy Spirit. And what, what ways do we in the Christian context chalk something up to persecution when it really may not be? Sure. Yeah. I think primarily it's just disagreement. Mm. I think when somebody disagrees with what you believe, we feel oppressed. Um, So I would say that, or the second thing is rejection. If you um, proclaim the gospel to somebody, share the gospel with somebody, somebody refuses that, you say, oh, you know, I feel persecuted. Now, on the other end of the coin, I think we experience things because we're and and we're afraid to use the language persecution. Yeah. But in reality, listen man, I know people who work in school systems or who work in, envi- in you know in the federal government or places like that where there are massive restrictions that are placed on them and they yeah. fear if a moment is asked or if they want to do something, if they want to pray before a staff meeting or do something like that, they worry about losing their job. Yeah. And and please listen the way also that we should not abuse that word persecution, I also think that Jesus tells us here in that Matthew passage that when they revile you, yeah. like I challenged our people, why don't you post Romans chapter one on your <laughs> Facebook feed today? Right. See how that goes. Yeah. You might want to turn off your notifications because it be pretty busy, yeah. okay? Um, and so you might get people who end relationships because of that or, or those types of things. And this is real for us. Yeah. For sure. Well, 2 Timothy 3.12, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Yep. And John 15.20, remember the word that I said to you, this is Jesus talking, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll also persecute you. And if they kept my word, they'll also keep yours. Such good news, but also very sobering promises yeah, that we have. We had a litany of those verses up yeah. front because I wanted it to be overwhelming. Right. Because it is. Yeah. I mean, the rest of the New Testament, most of the time, if Paul or Jesus is not, or another apostle is not correcting doctrinal error, yeah. the other thing that they're doing is encouraging believers who are being persecuted. Yeah. First Peter, Second Peter, James, the brothers in the scattered dispersion of the Asia. Yeah. I mean, it's I mean, it is a main thrust of yeah. the New Testament. Well, why is persecution happening? We broke this down in a couple questions. What's a it's because the gospel is offensive. Yeah. The gospel is offensive. And we were gonna talk a little bit about what is offensive about the gospel. Like there really you broke this down for us and showed showed this to us there in the text. There isn't really a whole lot of disruption or tension about the guys being healed. <laughs> yeah, right? Like it's it's more it's it's more over the teaching and the preaching. Like 100% like they of, of the message that they're communicating and more specifically the name that they are preaching and teaching. In, in. verse 18, they didn't charge them to stop doing miracles. Right. 
they charge them to stop speaking and teaching in Jesus' right. name. Yeah. Well, you drop this applicable line. It's the world loves the good works of Christianity, but hates the good news of Christianity. Yep. Before we dive into the world, I I just felt this in my spirit as I was writing down some notes for this this morning. I think we are guilty of this too as mm, believers. No question. Um, this old trope that I don't know where it came from, but you say it all the time that in tongue in cheek, preach the gospel at all times, but if necessary, use words. Yeah, like, sure. What drives this comfortable path of just showing, like another language, showing Jesus or yeah. being Jesus to them? For sure. What drives this comfortable path for Christians of just showing Jesus rather than preaching Jesus? Well, I would say, and I love that you bring that up because I would say that I've experienced probably far more in my line of work of dealing with Christians of Christians wanting the good works and not wanting the good news. Yeah. I.e. example, let's say a couple comes, you know, to me because their marriage is in shambles and they're like, hey, solve our problem, help our marriage, give right. us a book, allow us to do a program. And then we start speaking the gospel and we say, well, the reason why your marriage is struggling is because you're sinners. Yeah. And there's areas in your life that you're not fully believing the gospel. Yeah. And the solution to that is repent and turn from your sin and self-sacrifice for your spouse and offer forgiveness. Yeah. Well, oftentimes I can literally see their physical countenance go wah, wah, yeah. wah. Oh, I mean, this isn't why we came here. Oh, wait, yeah. I, I, I thought this guy was going to solve our marriage. Yeah. And so absolutely we as Christians are yeah. just as guilty of doing something like this. And I think the common thing to directly answer your question is we are consumers yeah. who by nature will always choose the path of least resistance. Yeah. We always will. Yeah. And the good news of Christianity, as we're going to get into here now, is very confrontational. There's a personal aspect to it. Yeah. There's responsibility. There's these things that we need to reckon with yeah. that by our nature, and I would argue because we're sinners, that's evidence that we are sinners. Right. Um, we don't want to accept that responsibility. Yeah, no, that's good. Colossians 3, I think it's the end of verse 17 comes to mind. It's it's the way that you live, but also what you say. The context for the gathering, but it's applicable here. And everything that you say and everything that you do in word or in deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Everything, whether that's your marriage, the conversations that you're having, your finances, any of that. It's beyond the good works. It's word and deed. And that's how we can move into living a life empowered by the Holy Spirit with thankfulness in our hearts to God. But the application here was the world loves the good works of Christianity yep. because the world is the one that is doing the oppositioning here, the opposing, and they hate the good news. So why? We broke that down into three quick little categories. The first one was because the gospel says that we're sinners. Verse 10, it says, "Jesus, this Jesus whom you crucified. Yep. Um, and you asked a question here like, because it begs the question, well, if it's if Jesus is crucified, then why? Right. Why was he crucified? Well, you're sinners. Okay, what is my sin? Why does sin need to be crucified or paid sure. for? And this brings up this idea for me of atonement. Mm. Um, and this is something that like the church has sort of battled over for a long time. This idea of atonement. Can you define two things? Number one, what are some what what is atonement? Mm -hmm. And what are some of maybe the different facets of it that yep. would kind of offer like a, you know, penal substitutionary or crisis yep. victus, any of that stuff? Yeah, sure. Can we get into that for a minute? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so, so the idea of atonement primarily is going to come down to payment or sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And we see the Old Testament sacrifices 
foreshadowing, primarily the book of Hebrews deals with this. Um, Atonement and the cross of Christ, um, Fleming Rutledge, who's a great scholar who helped me with this, her book, Crucifixion, is worth its weight in gold. But she says, um, imagine a gem or a ruby or a diamond that you hold up to the light, and it's one stone, but when it shines through the light, you get many different colors from a single stone. Such is the cross of Christ and the atonement. There are different facets to the atonement. Yeah. And there have been multiple times throughout church history, because of either error or doctrinal, um, you know, straying, that yeah. a group of people have had to hold up a different facet of the stone. Yeah. Example: the Reformation and um, penal substitutionary atonement, yeah. where Jesus is dying in our place for our sins to satisfy the wrath of God. Yeah. Or there's Christus Victor, where Jesus primarily dies to rescue us from the power of sin yeah. and death. And so, the cross has different facets to it, and it's very, it's a very good thing to know and look at all of the facets. Yeah. And there are appropriate times to hold up certain facets as well. But anytime somebody says, and I know this is really popular right now to really challenge penal substitutionary atonement and all of that type of stuff, I think that PSA is a part of the atonement theory. Um, I don't think it's all of it. Because I think if you limit it to God needing his wrath satisfied, that's when people run and go, well, why is God so angry and he needs to kill his own kid to satisfy people? And so I can understand where confusion happens, but we need moderation and um, we need to look at both facets of these things. No, that's good. Well, at the core of this, the idea of sin, but moving beyond atonement to more personal thing, the gospel says that we're sinners. I'm wondering... Here's something that I think that a lot of believers in the midst of either apologetics or just being honest about their faith and preaching Jesus in conversation struggle with is I can't get what can I get somebody to realize they are a sinner? Mm. Is that within my power or is it my job to convict them? Or is it just my job to teach and preach the message and let the Holy Spirit do the work? Is there a gray area in between? Yeah, for sure. We shared the the very famous quote from Billy Graham a few weeks back. It's God's job to judge, the Holy Spirit's job to convict, and it's yeah. my job to love. And I love that Billy said that. And and I think absolutely in First Timothy, I believe it is, we see the Apostle Paul drop this phrase where he says, may God grant them the gift of repentance. Yeah. Um, it is completely the power and work of the Holy Spirit for yeah. somebody to recognize that they are a selfish, broken sinner yeah. who is in due justice of God's holiness. Mm, that's that, that can only, that is a supernatural thing that happens. Yeah. And the resistance to the message is the fact that we don't want to admit that we are sinners. And yeah. so, you know, I think when we see intellectuals say that we can achieve this by our knowledge or by science or those types of things, this message is very offensive there. Yeah, no, that's good. So the world loves the good works of Christianity but hates the good news. First, because the gospel says that we're sinners, but second, because the gospel demands repentance, just as what we've been talking about. And you use this illustration from the text and also from your personal life with your brother brother, this idea of Jesus in verse 12, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders. He's the chief cornerstone. Can you talk about the cornerstone? Because I loved, 
I've heard about it before, but I've never heard it um, spoken in such great detail that it was actual. I just haven't heard it clear. I yeah, guess. sure. So yeah. It was very clear on yesterday when you kind of delivered this. The cornerstone is essentially the the level that the objective level in the corner of a building that everything is measured off from to maintain the level of the whole building. Yeah. Can you talk about that and then relate that with your brother's story to yeah. repentance? So basically in ancient times, you know, when, when they're building a house or doing something, especially in Jesus's day, number one, wood was a great commodity. And so it was often things were built out of stone to yeah. last long and this, that, and the other. Um, but I mean, listen, man, they weren't going, hey, um, you know, how, how long is this? And whipping out their iPhone and then right. turning their iPhone and getting a level with a little bubble in it or anything like that. So through hum, human ingenuity, um, this is also the way the pyramids are built as well, is they would fashion and create a stone and carve it, uh, I want to say almost to perfection. Yeah. I mean, it is very clear that the corner goes to a certain angle per the engineer's design. Yeah. And as they are building the structure, they are constantly referring to that cornerstone. Yeah. So everything is built from the cornerstone. Example, if you get to travel and go to Notre Dame, in the church courtyard, there's a cornerstone yeah. that actually the entire city is built around that cornerstone wow. and the church is the first thing that faces it because ancient... Um, architecture is just incredible. Yes, it is. So, so Peter's using something here. Number one, Jesus in the Old Testament was prophesied as being the cornerstone because yeah. God is building something. His new temple, not, not a physical structure, but a spiritual structure, something real. And Jesus is the foundation here. Yeah. And I told the story, I'm the youngest of four boys. My brother, John, who's like 15 years older than me, he's always been a construction contractor, very successful guy. And I talked to him on the phone one day. He was building a house. Most of the time, these guys will like build a spec house, live yeah. in it for a couple of years, sell it, build another one and, and do all that kind of stuff, yeah. which sounds like a life of moving, which sounds <laughs> horrible to me. But so he called me one day, super frustrated. And he said, bro, you know, I'm building the house. I said, yeah. He goes, dude, I showed up. I wasn't able to be there on the concrete day when they poured the slab foundation. And he was like, that's my mistake. I should have been there, but I show up on the job. And I'm like, man, this just doesn't seem this just doesn't seem right. So he goes back to the blueprints and he realizes the plumbing, basically the blueprints had been inverted via an email of some sort. Yeah. And so when everything, the plumbing was supposed to be on like the left side of the house, it was on the right side of the house. Mm. Everything was wrong. And this is days after concrete has been yeah. poured. These pipes, this electric is in concrete. Yeah. So he had a big fiasco with these guys. And I said, what did you do? And my, you got to know my brother, John. He said, I told him to bust it up. And so he sends me this picture of him standing in the middle of what looks like rubble. It looks like a bomb had gone off. And they literally through jackhammers had to bust up and remove all of that concrete yeah. in order to lay the right foundation. And I simply said, that's a picture of repentance. Mm. The reason why the gospel is offensive is because the gospel comes along and says, anything else that you build your life on, yeah. your profession, your family, your relationships, your dating life, or ready for this, real controversial, your sexuality, mm. anything that you build your identity on 
cannot stand the weight of that. And the gospel says you have to bust up that foundation through the gift of God's grace, and you have to build on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's really good, man. Well, I'm struck that we're back at repentance again. Right. Like, it's always like we're returning to this. Imagine that. It's always coming back to, like, it's the first sermon that Jesus preaches. It's what we see as baptism, that repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. I mean, why does repentance seem to be close to the center of the gospel? Mm. If it's not at the very center, why does it seem to be so close to the center? Why do we keep coming back to this idea of repentance? Why does Jesus teach and preach it? Why did the apostles teach and preach it through the book of Acts? Why is it at the center of it all? Yeah, because I believe that the meaning or the message is even found in the meaning of the word. And so the very first meaning and definition is to return Mm. which then means that we've strayed or that we've wandered. Mm. And then the second thing is, is to change your mind. But I need to say something here. In, In Romans, the Apostle Paul says... It is the goodness and kindness of God that leads us to repentance. So Mm. please, if you're right now driving in the car, please, please lean in and listen to me. We do not repent so God will love us. Amen. God loves us, therefore we repent. Yeah. It is the love of God that is the motivation. Yeah. And when you look at the foundation of your life that you've been building on and go, like the prodigal son, man, this isn't worth it. Yeah. My career can't hit. Look at the, what this is doing to my family. Yeah. Look, I mean, this isn't, and then you see who Christ is. Yeah. You go, well, of course I want to build my life on free grace. Yeah. That's absolutely it. And so it's the very core of the message. We have to return. I think of the father saying, Adam, where are you? Yeah. Come back. Um, and so a lot of times people think repentance is like police officers mm. with red and blue lights, wee, 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 yeah. like pull over, you're doing something bad. That's a bad picture of repentance. Repentance is actually like a father waiting on the front porch for a son who's ran away Mm. and who's waiting for him to come home. And every day he goes out and he yells, it's okay, come home, come home. I saw, and I think I've shared it on here before, religion says, I messed up, my dad's going to kill me. And a relationship or repentance says, I've messed up and ruined my life. I have to call my dad. Yeah. That's the difference. Yeah, that's good, man. Well, the world loves the good works of Christianity and hates the good news because the gospel says we're sinners and because the gospel demands repentance. But then this, because the gospel says that only Jesus can save us. Yep. Right there in verse 12, verse 11, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders. And then verse 12, and there is salvation in no one else. And there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That's such good news, man. I I love that what you you just said here that Peter is saying that you can't save yourself. 100%. You cannot save your... It is not within us to redeem or to save ourselves from eternal damnation or even, guys, the sin and the repetitive stuff we find ourselves in on a regular basis in our lives. And that's what flies in the face of the culture that says... You have it within you. Right. You have a spark. You're enough. Yeah. Hey, listen, by the way, how horrible, how horrible of news is it when somebody is in the dark night of the soul? Yeah. And the, I mean, I'm talking their life is in shambles. They have guilt and shame. Let's say it's an affair. I, I don't know. You pick it. And you look at that person and you say, you're okay just the way you are. Hmm. 
Oh, that is damning yeah. news. Or, that or that's try not, harder. Yeah, that's yeah, not, yeah that's equally as worse. Right. That's right. not good news. Now yeah. I understand what you're trying to do there. Yeah. But that's counterintuitive. Yeah. What's good news is is that you can't save yourself. Right. But the good news is that God can yeah. and will through the person of Christ. Amen. And so the good news is this, very, very plainly put, it doesn't depend on you. Yeah. And I think we're all longing for that phrase. Yeah, man. man. But there's definitely some pushback. And I would say out of a majority of the claims against Christianity, um, this is a big theological word. It's called the exclusivity of Christ. Yeah. So when we hear Jesus say in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is what makes Oprah. So, I mean, you can look this up. Oprah very clearly rejects the gospel because of the exclusivity, because she yeah. says, you know, Muslims and Hindus and Buddhists are all good people, and we're all praying to the same God. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just really quickly for a resource that will be in the show notes of somebody who has impacted my life and I quote him so much every sermon, but Tim Keller has a book called The Reason for God. Yeah. And he handles this literally in a single chapter about the exclusivity of Christ. And one of the things that he does is so genius is he says, we're all hypocrites to that phrase. Yeah. Meaning, if I stand up and say, Jesus is the only way, and somebody stands up and says, that is so offensive. I cannot believe that you would say that. That's why I'm rejecting Christianity. And then you say to that person, so then what is your standard? Right. What is, if there is a heaven or if something, what happens to us after we die, what do you say? 99.9% of the time they will say, if you are a good person, yeah, things will work out for you in the end. Mm. Okay. You've just made an exclusive claim right? because you've said that if people are bad, then, then it's not going to go well for them in the right, end. Right. And then you'd have to ask, by what standard? What right. is good? Yeah. Is it only killing one person? <laughs> right. Or it like, like what's the standard yeah. of good? And what he does is he really enters into that worldview and shows you the logical fallacies right. of all of that. But the, but the phrase that I wanted to really pull back from, because you can get in the weeds on that. And please right. hear me. If, if that is a legitimate struggle for you, I would read that book. We can have that conversation. But I wanted to pull us up and go, what's shocking isn't the phrase that Jesus is the only way. Yeah. That's what gets a lot of play and feedback in the culture. Yeah. The gospel isn't shocking because Jesus is the only way. The gospel should be shocking because there is a way. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> there is a way. Yeah, man. If we really are as bad as we are. Yeah. And God is really as holy as he is. Yeah then how is there even a way? Yeah, And I just think that changes the game when you look at it that way. No, that's so good. And you took it a step further. The gospel's offensive, so Christians shouldn't be. Like with that mm. knowledge that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, even by the standard of like worldly morality, nobody measures up to things working out in the end. Yeah. Um, and so that should humble us. That should give us as believers fuel in our fire and hum- humble us and make us compassionate towards the world, which I think fueled this sentence, the gospel's offensive, so Christians shouldn't be. Yes. Now, I want to ask, how does humility 
like maybe compassion can come later. How does humility play as a part of our teaching and preaching the gospel to others? When we communicate with our mouths, preaching and teaching, not so much talking about the way that we live right now, but how does humility play as a part of our teaching and preaching the gospels to other in conversations? Yeah, man, that's really good. Um, I think, you know, the message is offensive, so messenger shouldn't be. And I think we should always say what the apostle Paul said, Uh, Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners, of which I am the foremost. And when you see yourself is in as great of need of this Jesus and this message as the person that you are speaking to, the natural byproduct of that is humility. You are not, we are not speaking down to people we are speaking with people yeah. because we are sinners. That This is a part of the gospel presentation. Yeah. We are sinners as well. Yeah. Um, and so I think humility is absolutely a byproduct of that. That's so great. That's so great. So the Holy Spirit, I'm sorry, the, um, what's offensive about the gospel? We just went through those three things that the gospel says we're sinners, demands repentance, and says that only Jesus can save us. But then we move into this. What, is the Holy, what does Holy Spirit boldness look like? We see Peter and John, they're, they are bold, they have boldness, but then they're even recognized in verse 13 by the council when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. Yep. So it's something that, that Luke is acknowledging, but also the council's acknowledging about their boldness. And I want to talk about this idea of boldness really quickly, because I think we hear boldness and we think like crass, tell the truth, um, and and be harsh with it because it's loving. Like, what's the difference between boldness and maybe arrogance is a good word when yeah. it comes to sharing Jesus? Yeah, we're actually going to get into that in, in super great detail this coming week because we see how we get boldness and and where that definitely comes from as what we see the byproduct is. But when it comes to, you know, an arrogance, or um, I would even use the phrase, I think Christians are a lot more brutal than they are bold. Mm. I think it goes back to that humility that you know that you need this very same message. And so we said that you can't stand for Jesus unless you've been with Jesus. Mm. And I think there's so many Christians who are cause-oriented. And so they're like, um, they're trying to teach my kids critical race theory. And I was watching Fox News last night and they told me about critical race theory. Or you're on the other end of the spectrum and you're like, they're trying to teach us this worldview and that's that's a fundamentalist or this. And we become cause oriented yeah. and the reality is is causes aren't the end game yeah we follow christ yeah not a cause yeah and i think anytime you forget that you're dealing with people human beings yeah you lose that boldness and it becomes brutality or arrogance or something along those lines as yeah. well yeah. so it's a great question no, that's good well there's four things that you unpack for us here from the directly from the text of what holy spirit's boldness looks like the first one's this an urgency to share the message in verses 19 and 20 we see this urgency and this like quick response we we also see it the first time they speak um, when they're asked in verse 7 by what power by what name did you do this verse 8 then peter filled with the holy spirit said to them but then we also see in verse 19 and 20 but peter and john answered them whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak 
of what we have seen and heard. There yeah. is this urgency within them to share and to give an answer to the questions that they that they answered immediately. Yeah, and right. I love in verse 12, Peter says, by which we must be saved. Yeah. In the King James Version, it says, but speak of, we must but speak of what we have seen. There's the must, yeah. that like, I have to yeah. do this, man. Yeah, well, they're re- another, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but I want to talk about it in a different context of being ready, like things, things that we should be ready to share. Yep. But it says there on what they've seen and heard. Mm. Like we cannot but speak of what we have seen and what we have heard. So what are some things that we should be ready with maybe from our own personal life and evidence of people recognizing that we've been with Jesus? What are some things that we can use from our own personal arsenals when confronted with opposition to the gospel? I think just right off the top, I think when God answers a prayer in your life, man, man, you better shout it from the rooftops. That's why he did it. I mean, and so if you're praying about something and your co-worker's aware of that and they know that you're going to the doctor for the scan because of the thing and the stuff and you come back to work on Monday morning or you shoot them a text message and say, hey, remember I was praying about this the scan came back clear yeah yeah. like or how about this the scan doesn't come back clear yeah and then your co-worker sees the resolute peace that you have yeah i mean so there's all of these things that take place in our life that the reason why god does this it goes back to the miracle and to the sign the purpose of those things is to point to jesus yes it's not So you just get your prayer answered and you live a more comfortable life. The point of that is God does that in your life. So then you become a walking testimony as to what he's done. Yeah. And even going to the greatest miracle of salvation, the Lord saving you, tell people how the Lord saved you, man. These are the things that we've seen and that we've heard in our own lives personally that we can communicate when we have an opposition or just when we're sharing the gospel. So an urgency to share the message. The second thing that the Holy Spirit boldness looks like is a clarity of the message. And I love this because we can really muddy up the gospel. Look in verses 9 through 12. If we're beginning, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you, and here it is, and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. Right there, man. (laughs) By him, this man is standing before you well. Life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. One verse. They asked by what power or by what name did you do this? And he answers both of those questions. Yep. So how does a lack of clarity maybe hinder the gospel as we teach and preach it to those around us? Yeah, I think two things. Number one, I think it goes back to what I just said because we're so cause-oriented. Yeah. And so the cause confuses the clarity of the message. Yeah. And so I think that's why, and just hot take to get people to lean in, I think that's why phrases like Black Lives Matter or those types of things now become so convoluted in mm. society that if you say you're for or against, then you are either a racist on one side or this on the other side. And I think when it's very simply Jesus, listen, that's why when you walk through the doors of Westside, one of the only architectural design requests that I had when we were remodeling our church is the very first thing that you see in giant letters is it's all about Jesus. Yes. Whatever about denomination, whatever about theological preference, References, whatever about the great, awesome, that's fantastic. Yeah. But the message is Jesus. And and by the way, it's not um so, you know, if you have somebody who's struggling with homosexuality and you just quote unquote want them to be straight. Yeah. Like, are are you serious? Yeah. 
that what a horrible yeah oh my gosh what a depersonalizing like oh man just that phrase that yeah. i've heard and listen we're talking to people created in the image and likeness of god and at yeah. the end of the day it's not about how old the earth is yeah. or this sexual or it's about jesus yeah. it is about christ and all through the book of acts we see that being the message yeah amen amen holy spirit boldness looks like an urgency to share the message a clarity of the message and then this was really striking to me, a sincerity for the listeners. Mm. Sincerity for the listeners. In verse 12, he says, And there is, is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which you must be saved. Yep. He doesn't say you. He says we. Yep. That we must be saved. And this was where I want to start talking about the idea of compassion, maybe mm. empathy, or even sympathy if you've been there. What role does compassion or empathy play in sharing the gospel with both our friends and how about this and our enemies? Yep. So I think at the end of the day, um, what Spurgeon would famously say is that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Yeah. The ground is level at Calvary. So that means that we're all on the same playing field. Yeah. So just because I'm a successful businessman who has the wife, the golden retriever, three kids, the boat, the lake house, and by all standards, am a contributing citizen and a good human in society, yeah. but I'm a workaholic and I don't know Christ, mm. just because I'm that doesn't mean that the guy who can't hold a job, who's struggling with heroin addiction yeah. or this, that, or the other at the end of the day, both of those things are symptoms. Yeah. Those are fruit of a root cause, which yeah. is a heart far away from God and Christ and needs yeah. to be reconciled. But what we like to do is we like to categorize these yeah. things. So all sin is equally damning, yeah. but not all sin is equally devastating. Yeah. But what we like to do is categorize things to be nice and neat and then things to be explicit and frowned upon. Yeah. But what I see Peter doing is when he says the phrase we, yeah. I mean, I mean, imagine the conversations Peter had because he had to talk about denying Jesus. Right. This is the very man that denied yeah. Christ who's now saying, come to Christ. Yeah. You can only do that from a place of humility yeah. because you're no better than anybody else. Yeah, that's for sure. Good, man. I just think of Luke 15 and the wayward, the lost son and the older brother, man, that absolutely categorizing and I, definitely see and resonate culture and myself with that and the sincerity and the humility that comes from saying we and using communal language is Amen. so good. So an urgency to share the message, clarity of the message, sincerity for the listener, and the last thing that the Holy Spirit boldness looks like is an intimacy with Jesus. In verse 13, it says, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived they were uneducated. So we're moving from like their preaching and teaching to now the way they carry themselves and the way they live their lives mm. and their demeanor. Perceived that they were uneducated, common. I have in my Bible here in brackets, idiots. I think that was in translation <laughs> yeah, of the word awesome. common. common. Yeah, no, it is, yeah. That they were astonished. And here it is. They recognized something about them, the way their demeanor, their compassion, their empathy, the message they're teaching, all of it wrapped together. They recognized that they had been 
with Jesus. Amen. This perception that the council had went beyond the message and the boldness they preached it with. It says they recognized that they had been with Jesus. So at what point now moving from the way that we teach and preach Jesus, does our demeanor and character of the way that we live play into how we live the gospel? Mm, so this is really cool. I want to nerd out super heavy. As being a fan of rhetoric, Aristotle is kind of considered to be the guy, the all-founding wisdom guy of rhetoric. But he had three categories that when you're speaking, three things are happening. It's called the ethos, pathos, and logos. Yeah. The logos is the very word that you are saying. Um, the pathos is are people believing and receiving that, right. but the ethos is do they believe you? Hmm. How are you authentic? Because we've all like been in a conversation with somebody, and I think of that moment in the Truman Show when his wife is selling him coffee beans in the kitchen. <laughs> Who are you talking to? And he goes, who are you talking? Like, what are you? That's so, like, we've all been on the receiving end of that. And what's happening here is they're seeing the communicator's character. Yeah. And they're going, wait a second. These are the common blue collar fishermen guys. I even heard a rumor on Facebook that one of them denied Christ one time. <laughs> but look at what's happening. Yeah. They are, and so we said this boldness is a byproduct of being with Jesus. Yeah, um, There's no anxiety that comes from having to, to defend that relationship because very simply it's there, yeah. you know? Oh, that's good. Well, the Holy Spirit provides boldness to proclaim the gospel in the face of persecution, whether it's persecution that we face maybe one day physical and violent in our own lives or even commonly more now in Western America with conversations or loss of job or relationships or anything like that. The Holy Spirit is the only source of this boldness that we see in Peter and John that is alive and us today that provides that for us as well. I love that you broke down maybe some ideas of why we don't have this boldness. Um, that was the question. I'll be honest, man. Yeah. I'm, and, and I've been struggling through Acts and I get it. it you know, some things are prescriptive and descriptive yeah. and so we don't come and, you know, but, I, you know, why, why am I not seeing this level of boldness in my life, in the Western church, yeah. in... Yeah, I was, you know, and I just thought like fear of man, maybe sure. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah, I'm afraid of how this conversation is going to go and what the consequences are, or am I too comfortable? Well, for sure. Like I'm not yeah. taking risks like they do, or is it a lack of biblical knowledge? Like we're afraid that if we step out and be bold and somebody says, well, what about this? We're yeah. like crickets. You know, yeah. we don't know. Checkmate. I don't know. But dude, I just really felt like the Lord press in super heavy and I just wrote down the sentence, we don't have the boldness of the early church because we don't believe in the gospel like the early mm. church. We do not have an unwavering confidence that the gospel message is enough. Yeah. That this Jesus is really alive right now, sitting on a throne at the right hand of the Father, yeah. ruling the cosmos. Yeah. Man, if if we had that confidence, then I believe the boldness is what would follow. Yeah, well, that's really good. Well, some application questions that you left us with that I want to leave with our people again here on the podcast. Three questions. If I am not experiencing the same opposition as the early church, Am I speaking the same message as the early church? Ooh, that's Leonard Ravenhill, son. Am I preaching these things? Lin I... Leonard Ravenhill said, most preachers today, or, or he said, I've never met a preacher who's been crucified. Yeah. And he said, if Jesus was alive today, 
he wouldn't be crucified mm. for the message mm. just because of the fact of the world just doesn't receive it the same way like that. Yeah. And then he just asked the question very simply, if I don't have this opposition, am I preaching the same message? Yeah, no, that's good. The second one was, do I really believe that the Holy Spirit will provide the boldness I need to share the good news of Jesus? And you said that begs a question. There's only one way to find that out, and it's to ask God for an opportunity to be bold this week. Yeah. So we want to encourage you, and ourselves included, pray for that boldness. Pastor Jason said, I dare you. Yep. With the uh, piano playing in the background, that moved me. Yeah, um, man. I dare you to ask God for an opportunity to be bold this week. And then lastly, what's the Holy Spirit speaking to you, mm. and what are you going to do about it? Yeah, man. Thank you guys for listening to the rest of the sermon. We got some stuff coming up this week, man. Bro, we have an exciting, I mean, a jam-packed Sunday, bro. Yeah, man. Baptism Sunday whoop, coming whoop. up on the 24th. If you want to see some people publicly profess and confess that Jesus is Lord through yep. the waters of baptism, come to on, come to Westside on Sunday at we 10 a.m. We got a squad of people getting baptized, yeah, bro. We got something super great coming up in the life of the church the following week. Yeah, I'm um, really excited about Sunday. In response to the sermon, which will be really awesome. That's going to be super great. And then Sunday after church, we have our Fall Fest. Yes. If you want to engorge yourself in the name of Jesus yes. with a pumpkin pie or a coconut cream pie or some chili or get in the corn pit or uh, go down a big bouncy slide. Are we doing a slide this photo year? Photo booth. I don't know, man. I don't know uh, there, gonna there's going to be a ton of stuff yeah. and the weather yeah. just brought in the yeah. cold snap. That's it. So well, it's come, game time, Bring dude. your family, bring yourself. We're going to have a lot of fun, a lot of food and hang out in the name of Jesus. Yes. It's going to be super great. Um, anything else going on in the life of the church that I'm missing? No, man. Um, right. No, just like you said, this Sunday, tune in, listen, there's going to be some really, I've never done this before. We, yeah. we're, we're going through the book of Acts and the Lord's really challenging us. And this is a vision that I believe will forever shape yeah. the future of our church. And I know that's a very bold thing. Uh-huh, see, yeah. bold. I'm stepping mm-hmm. on boldness. But um, it involves us. It involves you um, as the congregants yeah. and as the people of God. And so be sure to tune in and listen. And I'm really excited for yeah, it. That's great. I'm going to read from Jeremiah 17, verses 7 through 10 to close us out, and then we will let you guys go. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He's like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when the heat comes, for its leaves remain green, and it's not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The Lord I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind and give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his deeds. Thanks be to God for his word. Thank you guys for joining us on the rest of the sermon. Send us your questions or situational questions or queries or responses or whatever it is to info at westsidepb.org. Please send those in to us. We'll do our best to answer them and backlog any ones that we've missed in the past. And as always, you can learn more about us as a church. If you're listening to this for the first time, you can find out more about us at westsidepb.org. You can keep listening to these podcasts as they come out every week right here where you're listening to them to. Or you can visit us in person at 2807 Shannon Drive in Poplar Bluff, Missouri. We have the sign outside that's never changed. It says nope. it's all about Jesus. Yep. So come join us at 10 a.m. for worship, and you can worship online with us on Facebook, too. But we'd love to see you in person. Thank you guys for listening in. And as always, may everything we say and do be all about Jesus. Blessings. We love you. Come to Fall Fest and Baptism Sunday. Whoop, whoop.